and welcome to the She Research Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine McKay, and today I'm joined by Anson Ferris to discuss Anson's recently completed PhD dissertation, Valuing for Others, Centering Values in Proxy Decision-Making. Hi, Anson. Hey, Kay. How are you going? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Good. Congratulations on completing your thesis. Thank you. At long last, all done. <laughs> quite a relief. <laughs> Dr. Ferris. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you today about your um, thesis. I wonder if you can give us an overview before we get into some of the findings from the conclusion. Ah, for sure. Um, I suppose the the overview would be, um, so substitute decision-making is a uh, pretty uh, common way of making decisions in, in medicine, right? You, there are situations where people uh, want to have a say over what happens to them once they lose competency to decide for themselves. So one way of doing this is the fabled advanced directive slash living will. There are all these problems with that. So um, many authors um, and, and uh, jurisdictions have uh, favored proxy decision-making slash substitute decision-making. They basically mean the same thing, which is you appoint another person to make a decision on your behalf um, on the basis, usually under the standard view, of their deep familiarity with that patient and their wishes. Um, my suggestion in line with a bunch of empirical literature is that that's inadequate. And instead, what we should be doing is uh, suggesting is appointing um, proxies on the basis that they value the same things that we do. And that means that they have greater insight and so on. And yeah, my thesis is an attempt to put that to, to work that idea out and show some of the uh, implications and empirical, I suppose you could say, conclusions. Mm. What got you interested in this topic? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, of, of, as long as I remember, at least in, in um, while I've been at university, I've been interested in, in bioethics, medical ethics, because of the deep impact men can have on patients' lives. But I suppose the ultimate um, impetus was that my parents are Jehovah's Witnesses. And as a result, uh, you know, from as long as I literally remember, I had to have skepticism about the medical um, industry. I'm no longer Jehovah's Witness, by the way, but <laughs> just to clarify. But yeah, um, Jehovah's Witnesses are this classic example in bioethics of individuals who are not necessarily served by def doing things the default way in medicine, right? Mm -hmm. They refuse blood transfusions. And one of the ways that they uh, refuse blood transfusions is via the uh, use of advanced directives and proxy um, appointments. So, yeah. 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 Um, and you said that the advanced directives have some serious flaws. Mm -hmm. um, is that apparent in those situations? Or does it come out in some other way? Yeah, in some ways. Like there have been, I don't remember the legal um, the, the, the legal reference, but there have been cases of people who write out these little, um, they're called blood cards. Um, mm. They have these little things that say, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, I refuse this, this, and this, usually whole blood, plasma, plate, platelets, red cells, um, things like that. Um, they have these little cards which they write out um, their wishes and sign at the bottom, but there have been these cases of people having signed it, left it in their wallet for two years. I know of at least one case that was in the literature of a uh, Muslim uh, woman who converted to being a Jehovah's Witness, completed the blood card, and then seemed to drift away from the religion, but failed 
to remove the card from her medical documentation. Mm. So yeah, these are the sorts of failings that you can see in advanced directives, relying on just an inert piece of paper to, to express everything you want to say about a particular uh, medical intervention is deeply inadequate, hence why we turn to individuals who can speak on our behalf. Interesting. So um, I wonder if you can give us then a couple of the main points of argument. Yeah, there's there's issues of time sensitivity. How recently was it completed? This is a, a common issue when it comes to people doing uh, so-called do not resuscitate tattoos. Oh, tattoos. Yeah, where they think that this in some way makes their decision more likely to be heeded. But at least from my impression, that's not necessarily the case. Um, so, yeah, there's time sensitivity problems. There's also problems about um, specificity. Mm-hmm. How uh, specific was the advanced directive? Did you envisage this particular medical um, problem? And do you know about the results of your decision? A lot of people have very strong opinions about what should happen to them if they ever um, develop quadriplegia. Mm-hmm. But Almost nobody has any idea what living as a quadriplegic is like. Mm. So, you know, the medical professionals arguably have a good reason to be skeptical of the validity of these documents as morally compelling. Mm. And so what's your proposed solution to that? Oh, get rid of advanced directives entirely. <laughs> uh, well, that's probably too strong. It's, it's more like um, advanced directives can't model. That's where proxies come in because... At least under the standard view, they can draw upon their deep familiarity with the patient and come to a decision that the patient themselves would have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, my alternative view um, is that uh, you don't necessarily need to make the same decision a patient would have made just so long as you're acting on the same values the patient um, would have wished to have acted upon okay. were they able. Yeah, Got it. How do we know? Oh, God. (laughs) Um, How do we know? Um, How do we know what, specifically? Well, um, how do we know what they would have acted upon? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a common issue, Um, especially with the standard view, because the standard view literally requires you to mirror the exact same decision that the patient would have made. And we've got all the perform barely better than chance, right? I think the highest number I've seen reliably is around 68 to 69% of the time they get the answer Right, which might sound somewhat impressive, but you know that means about 30% of the time they're not getting it right, mm. which by hypothesis means they're harming these patients. Mm. So we know that about the standard view. Under my account, you just need the, um, the, the, the proxy to share the values of the patient and then one would um, expect, right, that this patient, sorry, that this proxy would thereby act in a way that's... Um, Value congruent is mm-hmm. the term I use, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, do I open up my thesis with the, this question, right? My parents are both Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not. What should I do about um, about the fact that they one day could be rendered incompetent? And at least under New South Wales law, I'd be auto selected as their proxy, mm-hmm. right? If they're both incompetent, then it goes down this this list, and I'd be the one that'd be picked out um, to to choose on their behalf. And I make this point that I don't think I should because I don't value what they value. So I don't have the required insight mm. um, to to even guess mm. what they would want. Meanwhile, if they picked a Jehovah's Witness, and I think importantly, a Jehovah's Witness who's like them, uh, that means that they do have the epistemic insight required to, to basically say, okay, well, as a Jehovah's Witness and this particular stripe of Jehovah's Witness, 
I think this is the best decision. And at least um, that way you've got some sort of, um, you can introspect and on that basis make decisions, which, you know, um, if any of your listeners are thinking, well, introspection is subject to, to challenge, one of the responses is we reflect on our own values. This is just an extension mm. of that. Mm. I find that really interesting because even in that example, it kind of seems like you have an intimate understanding of what your parents value, even though you've, you don't value it yourself. And in a sense, you've kind of rejected it, but you still have quite an intimate understanding of it. But you think that, um, because, still because you don't actively value it, that you're not the best placed person. So even though, because it kind of seems to me like you could counterfactually reason your way through. Um, I think I could probably get some of it, but, you know, I'm, I won't say constantly surprised, but fairly often surprised by their positions on on, on things I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is a, this came up a long time ago, but I didn't see it coming. My mum is effectively, um, at least according to her, morally opposed to cremation. Oh. And I'm like, where, where'd that come from? Like, that's, <laughs> this is like, I mean, I know some old school Catholics have that position, but I didn't expect a Jehovah's Witness to have that, that position. So, yeah, sometimes I'm surprised. So, yeah, I mean, I do have kind of a, re um, a repository of um, positions that my parents hold on my head that mm -hmm. I could probably trot out. But the issue, I guess, is whenever there's ambiguity. Mm -hmm. So... Um, the famous example in in the case of Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, so you're anti-plasma, you're anti-whole blood, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. What about interferons or other medicines that are made up of a fraction of a fraction of blood? Is that off the table as well? Mm -hmm. And the issue, I guess, is even if I get my parents to recite to me all the the cases, like all the their decisions about all these um, um, possible interventions, there are always ones that I'm not actually sure Mm. So I think I give an example in in the thesis of a um, epidural blood patch, which is basically you get a cord like a, a, a tube of um, a, a tube leading from uh, into part of their spine to relieve particular kinds of headaches, right? But that requires you to effectively move blood into that part of the spine. Mm. The issue there is jo some Jehovah's Witnesses, not all have an issue with the what happens if the blood flow is disconnected for a second. So I did a little experiment, I suppose. Uh, maybe I should explain why that's an issue. Because some Jehovah's Witnesses think if, for instance, you're in a dialysis machine and the machine stops for like 30 seconds and then starts up again and now the blood's moving back into you, you should remove it because now it's basically like a blood transfusion. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not all, to be clear, yeah, right? right? So I, as in a little experiment, I was like, all right, I'll explain to my parents this epidural blood patch and see how they react. And uh, my dad, neither of them were particularly bothered by this. And I was betting that they would be. So this is why I think I'd be mm. a poor, poor choice because all that knowledge of what my parents have chosen and the reasons they've given clearly don't provide me with the required level of insight to predict how they would react in novel situations. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, um, reasonably universally accepted is required, Like, mm -hmm. which is why so many people in this space have suggested that the best response to these problems of proxy directives uh, under the standard view and advanced directives is to give up and just move to something <laughs> like welfareism, welfareism, best interests, mm -hmm. some sort of advisory role 
of the friends and family of this person. But yeah, I'm trying to thread away um, to say that you can still maintain respect for autonomy, but you do have to give up on the idea that the exact decision that the patient would have made is made by this proxy. Right. Mm. And so the proposal, can you repeat it again? You said that it's values... Um, uh, do you mean that uh, under my model? Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, my position is that uh, one should appoint proxies on the basis that they share values with you in the same manner as you, which mm-hmm. requires some unpacking in the thesis, obviously. But the mm-hmm. basic idea is just to give an, a, a, um, a uh, I hope, intuitive example. If you're uh, the stripe of Catholic who thinks that Vatican II was a move towards heresy, basically, right? Like you mm-hmm. you think that mass should be held in Latin and so on. Your best bet for a Catholic proxy under my account isn't just any Catholic. It would be similar, someone similarly uh, old school mm-hmm. on that perspective. And, you know, you wouldn't pick one of these hippy-dippy new-agey Catholics who think that abortion um, is probably fine. You know, you, you pick someone that shares your outlook in a reasonable amount of detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that person clearly might not be the person who's most closely related to you. No, yeah, that's. That, I think that's actually a virtue in my account. Of mm-hmm. life, I think, right, because um, I do talk about domain specificity, right? So mm-hmm. some people might be ideal for you when it comes to certain types of decisions, mm-hmm. such as, um, I don't know, end-of-life care. But maybe they have, um, maybe they're, less willing than you to take on, I don't know, experimental treatments or something like that. So it'd be a good idea then to not give this person um, authority over all decisions mm-hmm. within your life. So you can pick and choose mm-hmm. and you can kind of do that now. But I guess the idea is highlighting how important that is, that uh, it would be an error to think just because somebody shares your views in one domain that they thereby share them in all. Domains. Right. Yeah. Right. So you should appoint perhaps more than one proxy. It should be like a team. Yeah, and that's the second half of the thesis okay. is to, to suggest that, well, second, more like final third, I suppose, um, <laughs> is to suggest that the best way to combat um, various problems that we've isolated when it comes to individual decision-making because proxies, one of, one of the theories as to why um, proxies under the standard view perform so poorly is because of the influence of things like unconscious bias, emotion slash stress, um, you know, just making errors mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. And generally, um, there's this push uh, from, you know, cognitive science, cognitive psychology, things like that, to basically point out that the best solution to those issues is to move away from the individual decision maker and to move into a group setting by appointing multiple people that can make this decision, uh, sorry, that collaboratively and discursively make this decision, right? They have to argue with each other to mm-hmm. come up with a decision as to what's best. And the evidence seems to show that when you perform that, you um, you, you get de-biasing as a result. People are less likely to act on biases. Other people are attuned to picking up people on biases and things like that. So yeah, my suggestion is you don't want to just, uh, one shouldn't want to appoint a single decision maker. You should as far as possible, find multiple people who share your values, who can then argue amongst themselves as to what's best for you while you're incompetent. Given that they all share values, they're going to take these values as motivating. And then the question will thereby become, okay, how do we put these values into action Mm. in a way that we all find acceptable? Mm -hmm. And so long as, as I put it, the, the decision is value congruent, Mm -hmm. i.e. it either respects or furthers the, the, 
the patient's values. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes it an morally, uh, sorry, a normatively uh, authoritative decision. It's 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 motive. It should be motivating to others. Mm. Mm. I want to ask you something that you might not actually touch on in the thesis, but um, I found it kind of intuitive. Um, or intuitively right, I guess, when I read something a while back about how um, in situations like this where a person becomes unable to make their own decisions, but temporarily, mm-hmm. so say they're in a short-term coma or something like that, um, when they come out the other side, or it might not even be a coma, it might be just like a kind of acute situation where you have to have a surgery or something mm-hmm. like that and you're not able to, to consent to it yourself, Um, people have sometimes reported that the person who made the decision for them didn't make the decision that they would have made for themselves, but that because they care for the person who made the decision for them, they're kind of happy about the decision anyway. And it's linked to this love and affection that they feel for the person who made the decision for them. And I actually do find that kind of plausible. I feel like I would probably feel that way myself. And I wonder what you think about that, having done so much more research on this than me, and what, how this bears on your value congruence. I mean, how to put this? Given I'm, I think uh, Angus Dawson um, points out that you know um, I'm deeply committed to autonomy, right? Which I am, and that would mean that um, how to put this? One has to be happy with that sort of like whatever the patient thinks, however the patient wants the decision to be made. That's respect for autonomy, then, right? If uh, if the patient doesn't really care about whether or not their decisions are exactly mirrored, or um, maybe they very much do, mm-hmm. um, you don't respect autonomy by, uh, autonomy by imposing a decision procedure on this person that they would disavow or not want. So I'm kind of with um, so John Hardwick is one that's written on this, um, basically suggesting that no, there there is nothing wrong with that, even though medicine has a issue right the mm-hmm. idea is we, we tell people as acting as proxy um, under the standard view at least you have to leave your values at the door and you have to make a decision solely on the basis of what the patient would have wanted without any regard as to what's best for you right but Hardwick points out well what happens if the, what the patient would have wanted is what's best for you <laughs> right as the right. proxy so I mean, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's right. But I do think there is a useful distinction to be made between a proxy decision and what we might call a deferral. Okay. And it strikes me that, you know, if we don't, if, if what we care about is that the person making the decisions is making those decisions on the basis of a particular kind of motive, but we're not particularly bothered by what the decisions are, I think that's a distinct kind of phenomenon, maybe um, just as worthy of protection and and probably just as normatively motivating. But yeah, a, a distinct kind of phenomenon. I think I do talk about deferral a bit, mm. to, but mostly to distinguish it. I'm not, I'm not necessarily um, in favor of the idea that we should just go for deferral, mm. but I also don't think that we should disavow it. Well, mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Interesting. Um, so we're coming to the end of our time here. I wonder if there's a sort of main takeaway message that you want to communicate through this project. Oh, Lord, there's many. Um, <laughs> I, maybe I'll try to prioritize. Um, 
I don't want to be one of these. So I guess, all right, one of the things I want to say in general is it was an error a while ago. I don't know when this started. I did try to find out, but it, it's kind of lost to history. Maybe an actual historian could figure this out. But mm. why we're so invested in the idea of getting people to make these kinds of decisions, right? To, to make, to, to, for instance, in the UK during the COVID crisis, uh, we had people going into nursing homes armed effectively with advanced directives and pressuring, and I, I use that word deliberately, pressuring elderly people who are at risk to fill out these advanced directives refusing care. Oh, wow. Um, and... I think the the reasoning behind this sort of thing is is something on the lines of it's, it's always a good idea to um, get someone to engage in advanced care planning to talk about their wishes and so on. I think that's probably not true. I don't think it's always a good idea. Um, it, sh- it certainly shouldn't be defaulted, right? Like the idea of me being appointed my parents' proxies, even um, even though I sorry my parents' proxy, even though I don't share values and so on. You know, automatically. That's an issue. I think advanced care planning is important for people who care about what happens to them after they lose competency. It's hard, right? That's something we haven't emphasized enough. We've, there's been all these efforts to make advanced care planning easier and easier. I think my thesis successfully shows, I hope, that you no, know, this is valuable, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's, not, um, it's not the sort of thing you can just write a form or have a few conversations. It's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the appointment stage, as I put it, for proxies would be an ongoing conversation, probably over one's lifetime, because it's an evolving thing, what one values and wishes and so on. Mm-hmm. So I guess the ultimate takeaway is this is difficult. We should stop pretending otherwise. And uh, we being by with us as medicine society. Um, and instead, uh, hammer the idea that for those who really care about this stuff, no, it is possible um, to 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 uh, appoint proxies in such a way that one's interests are taken care of and autonomy is respected. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's not for everyone. I hope that wasn't too rambly. No, that's great, but, and it's super interesting. Um, thanks so much for t- speaking with me, Anson. It was really interesting. No worries. Thanks, Kate. And we're looking forward to seeing some of your thesis in print at some point soon. That'll be great. Yeah, that's the hope. Thank you. No problem. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the She Research Podcast. You can find a transcript of our conversation linked in this episode's notes. And SheePod is hosted by me, Catherine McKay, and produced by Madeline Goldberger. You'll find our other episodes on Spotify, Radio Public, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts of quality. Thanks again for listening. Bye.